Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you today. And this question is something I've been thinking about because as we, uh, you know, do the work that we do, both in the classroom, on the podcast, in the world, you know, doing trainings, talking to people, there's, there's, we, after a while, you kind of get the same questions over and over. And that's not to, bash anyone asking a question. It's just, there's a lot of common questions out there, right? One of them that we've often got, I know you and I've had together questions about grades, but that's not the question I'm asking you, but I want to know what is the most common misconception that you can think of on the spot about workshop when you're training or people are asking you questions what is the what is the most common misconception about just the workshop format that people tend to struggle with that you seem to kind of spend a lot of time I don't know if debunking's the right word but uh reshaping how people think about it what would that be I think it's the idea that when you let the students loose that you're not really teaching and so what you have to you have to get people who are not used to workshop. You have to get them to think about their role. Is it as, if you will, the stage on the stage, you know, that whole old um, mo- motive or whatever you want to call it, but motif. But the idea is that the students are doing the work and that because you've done all this pre-planning and this prep at the beginning and set up your system, uh, I think they have this idea that you're not really teaching this idea of a mini lesson and then you let the kids go for it. I think that's a misconception because I think uh, what the traditional way is where you give them all this information and it's all about lecturing and then maybe a little guided practice if you have time and hopefully you get to the independent part, but the independent part usually ends up being homework. And the problem with that is, yeah, you've done all this teaching, but you don't really know if your students can do it or not. And so, uh, and so they go to home and especially in the old days, they couldn't like email you or text you or do anything. They were stuck with whatever their parents remembered or are new and they couldn't call you. They couldn't confer with you. I think now with technology, you know, you can set up some Zoom moments or um, through our learning platform. They, I have kids even this week who have uh, messaged me through that, asking me some questions about their stuff. So I think, I think that that's, my cats are fighting again. What is the deal? When you ask me a question, my cats start fighting. They haven't fought all day. Anyway, but the thing is, is, is I do think that's a misconception that, that you're not really teaching. And so, therefore, if you're not teaching, the students aren't learning, and that's not true. If the students are doing, they are learning. The idea is that in workshop, you you design it in such a way that the students can uh, confer with you that, you know, to me, I do more work during the workshop because I am walking around conferring with the kids. I, I don't sit down very often. I mean, if I sit down, it's to figure out my PowerPoint or to, to reset the computer so that my monitor's showing, et cetera. So... That's, that is pretty much 
uh, what I think is a big misconception. I'm always having to talk people through that. You know, I, uh, I, I second that concept, right? Because, you know, we have this idea that, I, I, you know, connected to that is this idea that, you know, students kind of need to apply what's being taught immediately and workshop is not that all the time. Sometimes it is, right? Sometimes what you're talking about in the mini lesson can directly be applied to what they're doing, but sometimes it can't, and that's okay. You know, Ralph Fletcher talks about um, in his one of his earliest books, just writing workshop. It's a, it's a black book. It's very skinny. Um, people should read it if they haven't. It's a great primer. Um, but in that book, he talks about how to this this pushing down a fear that a teacher can have of oh my god I, I taught this and they're not using it and he he goes through the process of you know you're you're almost supplying tool sets and when you know you can set up systems and requirements to have them use that but a much more authentic way is to you know as you're teaching, slowly start revealing different ways that students can use those things right like mm-hmm. a, an obvious example is. Figurative language, you know, figurative language, obvious, you know, we really focus on figurative language in fiction and poetry, but figurative language exists in nonfiction. It exists in all kinds of things, right? It exists in comic strips and images and, I mean, pretty much everything that could possibly uh, need creative language. And so uh, it's it's that that I, f- that I think some people feel really stressed out about is um, – or, or that misconception that, you know, if kids aren't applying it immediately, then they're not learning. But, uh, you know, when, when workshops set up and you're constantly talking about these tool sets and you're cycling stuff in, uh, you know, they just kind of pull it in. So I don't know. I just wanted to add that my little two cents to what you said, cause I think it's, uh, there's a correlation there. But before we continue this conversation, I want to welcome everyone to the Craft and Draft Podcast. That's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two teachers in Texas living our best lives, teaching seventh grade English. Uh, we love what we do. We love workshop. And that's what we talk about here on the podcast. For those who don't know, the uninitiated Craft and Draft is our journal system. We have a few episodes about what we do specifically there But this podcast is really just us talking through stuff, how it applies to our stuff. We talk about big ideas, small ideas, and everything in between. I want to tell people at the top of the show, I had some time recently, and I went through the website, and I added categories to the site specifically, craftandraftworkshop.com. So if you have been looking for specific topics, if you are like looking through all of our episodes, you're like, I really don't even know where to start, scroll through those categories, see what you can find. Hopefully everything is easier. I've also renumbered things. Our podcast hosts, where we keep all of our episodes, they were numbering stuff, and then about around episode 40 it stopped numbering and so i went back and just did it all manually so we finally have actual numbers on the podcast um and uh that that should help you navigate as well it was bothering me so i know it was bothering someone out there so the numbers are back categories are going to go check them out but today we're talking about um we're going to answer a listener question as we love to do but we're going to really talking about purpose and kind of uh how conferences help us support student focus and purpose in their reading and writing and all of that and more on this episode all righty Miss Ochoa, how are we feeling today? It's a Saturday night, as we usually record. Are you feeling okay today? 
Yeah, I'm feeling okay today. Why did you bring that up? Because <laughs> I, I wasn't feeling good last Friday. <laughs> However, I, I am an official and I did get yelled at a lot today. You know, that's the one job being official. And I think the teacher's almost second to no matter what you do, 50% of the room is not happy with you at any yeah. given point of the game. That's so, so funny. had a little yelling at, you know, I was told I was ruining the game. It was great. I, 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 you know, I just must be a glutton for punishment, Jakey, because all I do is professions that get me yelled at. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, hey, I'm all into reflection. Let's go for it, shall we? You know what? And speaking of that, it, you know, last episode, for people who might have noticed, it was a little sh- on the shorter side. We had a audio glitch that kind of threw stuff into the wild. So there was about 25, 30 minutes of an episode that kind of got washed down the drain. But it's okay. You know, every once in a while, I think people need a shorter episode. So just so people know that's what it was. It was kind of a a weird thing. And I hate – sometimes we'll power through an audio glitch, but – at certain times, you can hear it in other yeah, parts it? of that episode. You can still hear it, yeah. Yeah, but it was like it. There was a part where it was like, eh, and I was like, oh my god. So hopefully that's not happening now. I did an audio check, so I don't know. We're nine minutes in already, so we'll see what happens. But if it keeps happening, I'm just going to retire from podcasting and be like, I don't need this in my no. life anymore. I'm just kidding. No, but, don't do that. Uh, before we get started, let's jump to a listener question, Miss Ochoa. I have. Okay. I've been. I've been going back and forth with a. Uh, a, a lady, the name of Nicole. She lives in Ontario, Canada. Um, we have a big Canadian audience, which is kind of fun. But hello, Canada. She, yes, thanks, Nicole. She, uh, maybe we can go out there to do some PD eventually when all the COVID oh, stuff yeah. calms yeah, down enough for us to do things. I would love That'd to visit good. Canada. I, I'm a fan personally, but um, I've never been. But I haven't really. Been I haven't a lot been of either. Places. My dad has um, been. He likes it. Well, your parents have been everywhere. She says, Just my are dad. you, one, she asked, are you coming out with a PD book for craft and draft? Miss Ochoa, are we writing <laughs> a craft and draft book? <laughs> yes, we are writing. Actually, Chastain, Mr. Chastain has written quite a bit of the book. Miss Ochoa has been like getting yelled at about ruining games and other things. So um, I need to get on with it. So if there's a delay, y'all can blame me. It's not Jacob. It's me. But regardless, but I, but we are writing and we do have some part. I mean, we have written quite a bit a of good, it. I mean, there's a good chunk of it that is mm-hmm. um, there. I would say we're on the, I don't know, we're not at about 50% yet, but we are, we got a good chunk okay. in there. Yeah. And li- and all the listener questions and everyone using craft and draft out there in the communities actually end up helping us because it's refining our ideas as we kind of put them into print. So. I mean, it's very useful doing this podcast without having the book fully out yet. So um, we're going to make it as perfect as possible. And I'm sure it'll it'll just keep evolving over time. But beyond that, she asked, I was wondering about the mini lessons. She goes, how do you know what order to teach the expectations and also mentor text? For a newbie, I'm lost as where to look and what good examples would be. And we've talked about uh, places to get mini lessons before, but I want to I want to hit this first one, which is the the mini lessons and the order to teach the expectations. So I, I'm assuming what she's asking here is the expectations with uh, just craft and draft in general and how that applies to workshop. And I, I, this will actually be a fun conversation because I 
actually, I thought about this. I was like, I don't know how you taught your, your expectations for craft and draft. Like I have a general idea because we're very much aligned. We, I mean, obviously we have different styles and certain things, but I, I don't know clear specifics on how you do it. So I'm going to pitch this to you, which is how did you introduce the expectations of craft and draft in, in its uh, connection to the workshop that you're running in your classroom this year? Well, I, first of all, made sure that they all understood that, that we were going to be using two books. And most of them did because they did that last year, but I still had a few. So I give them a certain time, like maybe the first, I actually introduced it. We started on a Wednesday. Did we start on Wednesday or was it Thursday? Wednesday? Yeah, yeah it was a Wednesday. Okay, so we started on Wednesday. So we I actually didn't have did our kids the, that day. No, we didn't. So really, we started on a Thursday students. with the Yeah, That's right. That's right. So I really had my kids on Thursday. So I, I gave them. So what I did is I actually did my little dream lesson on Thursday. So I got them reading and writing. We we read and we wrote about creating dreams and what's our dream for the future. So we did some writing and then I told them to keep up with it because we are going to put it in our notebooks on Monday because that way we have some writing. So on Monday, uh, what I did is I had everybody get out both of their books and and when I did, I said, okay, one, you need to choose which book's going to be your craft book and which one's going to be your draft book. I had my two books up and I showed them what I was doing. I did not have a document camera at that time. So uh, last year I had a document camera and showed them all under the document camera, but I also created a video. So um, from that video, I had pictures. So I showed them pictures on my overhead you know, from the, I didn't have a document camera, but I did have a computer that had old images, what we did. So I showed them. So what I did is I I walked through and the first thing we do is they decide which one's going to be craft and draft. And then they, they draw, you know, right on that. And then most of them are like, do you have a Sharpie? Do you have a Sharpie? And uh, that I did not have. I think if I did it different, I might have at least, you know, let them pass around a Sharpie and then take them all back up. Uh, because then it just makes them, that just, that's probably, we don't want Sharpies out because of, I think vandal, you know, you can't get those off, but maybe if I could just give them some real quick, they, they write it on their, their name and all that on the, on their notebook, that might've been better. I don't know. So, and then take them back up. I just wouldn't let them all have them. But anyway, uh, with that said, then I tell them, you know, the first page is the title page in both of them. And then I tell them how to number it. So the first thing I do is I have them number it. So the first page is completely blank and they're supposed to be working on that. And I need to refer them back to that because this group really hasn't been decorating it like my other groups have in the past. So I need to refer back to that. So right now I just have a blank page that says title page on there. And then the next four pages or five is table of contents front and back. Okay. And that's in both books. And then in the craft book, I focus on that one first. And then I have some pages for their reading log and some pages that I created for their SSR. That's something different than I did this year than I didn't do last year. And their SSR is as SSR response. So that's something that I'm adding. And so when they do their reading, then I may ask them a question like, um, what is a connection that you have to your personal life, to the person that you're reading about, you know, whatever. So I ask different questions uh, periodically. I don't do it every day. I might say, describe, find your favorite line. And so that's what they put in that part. And then around page, 
13 or 15, and the odd number pages are on the right side and the even number pages are on the left side, but we start our first mini lesson on like around page 15. So then I do a mini lesson and then we practice doing that. And then I go over and we talk about the draft book. So in the draft book, we have the table of contents and then pages five through 10 are... um, or pages five, yeah, about five through 10 are um, idea pages. So I set them aside because I like to put all their ideas in one area. And so that's when I do lessons where they do brainstorming and different things like that to get writing ideas. And that's where like, if they go find anything, they'll put it in that section. And then on page 13 or 15, somewhere right in there, uh, they begin to write their first draft. Well, we wrote about their dreams. So what I had them do so that they, I had them actually tape, I gave them an envelope and then they taped that envelope in and then they put their dream paper in on that page. And then on the next page, they picked something that one of their ideas and then they wrote. And so then that sets up the idea of writing. So that's kind of what I did on Monday and Tuesday. And then we've just been uh, moving it along uh, so I'm like on your next odd number page, this is what we're going to do and write this draft on your next odd number page. And I tell them to make sure that they date everything because we want to know when they wrote it so that we can see the kind of growth that they're doing. So what that's what I did. And I and uh, we read and write every day. We, we do, um, they read every day and then we respond in the SSR and then I do a mini lesson and then they do their notes and then we have re- reading time and writing time. I mean, when I say reading time, um, uh, their mentor text, whatever we're using to teach from. And then, yeah. I have to ask because Mm -hmm. I keep having this problem, which is I have students I'll walk by. And what part of my expectation in the first six weeks, I take the craft book as a one of our major grades that we do, because in our district, we have we, we have a common assessment that we have to do. We usually have two common assessments and then kind of an extra one that uh, is kind of on its own. And for the first six weeks, we don't just because of the way it's set up. We have one common assessment and then kind of two major test grades, blah, 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 blah. In any case, I take one of those as a major grade just so because I'm just trying to train them into expectations. Mo- every mm-hmm. Almost every student gets 100 on this test grade because it's, you know, you're following along with the notes, you're gluing the mini lessons in, you're stapling them in, whatever you're doing the, on the left. Yeah. On the, on the left side, you're doing your reader response and connections to the mini lessons, et cetera, et cetera. But I have like maybe six students who keep just writing on the left side or like when they need to put something on, like if the mini lesson goes too long on the right side, they'll skip a page rather than going to the left. They'll just turn the page. And it's like driving me insane because I'm like, Oh my God, just use the left side. Are you having left, right issues or are your kids pretty much in, are they doing it correctly? I have a, like six, like I said, who are, just kind of not following that format every once in a while. And they're just like, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I have a few and they're like, Oh, we were supposed to do this. I mean, it's like, where have you been? I mean, I, I don't, I don't really say this to them. So I'm not trying to, but my inside voice, I have an inside voice and outside voice. That's how I deal with things. My inside voice was, you've been in here for six weeks. How do you not know that we're doing this? I mean, I even have in the directions on the left side, on the right side, but, um, 
so what I do is that's that's a conference. And I'll say, okay, don't worry about it this time. But now what we're going to do, and they skip that next page. I said, okay, this next lesson is going to start here on page 21. And we're going to write on the left side. And so I just kind of do a little mini lesson. I don't really, I don't really sweat it too much. I just say, okay, let's, uh, you misunderstood it. It's okay. That's my outside voice. My outside voice is, oh, it's okay, honey. I don't say honey, but you know, it's okay. Uh, We'll just, um, we'll just do this and just make sure in the future that we do this. And, and before you write the next one, just call me over and make sure that you're doing it right. And we'll, and Hey, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Uh, uh Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know. Or they'll say, oh, I wrote this in the draft book and it was supposed to be in the craft book. Now what do I do? And I say, tear out the page and glue it into your craft book. (laughs) (laughs) So I I go give them a glue stick and they tear it out. And I said, okay, no, we're back good. You just will have a missing number. I mean, you'll have a page missing, but it's all right. So you know what's so funny is one of the things that we stress in the book in progress, but on the podcast too, is, you know, this is a flexible system. This is not a, a scripted oh. thing and people can manipulate it however they want. Our eighth grade team, you know, our eighth grade teacher, uh, one of them has combined the two in the way that works for her. She has a a smaller, she has 45 minutes versus our 80 minutes or so, 74 minutes, whatever it is. And so she's just combined her stuff, but it's still, it's relatively the same process, right? But It's stuff that she's used to kind of just morph what we've done into what fits for her. And first, I want to stress that for anyone listening to this stuff is, you know, it's it's we have our way of doing it and we think our way is very good. But everyone has their own needs and what your students uh, can function with. Um, But one of the primary reasons why we like why we would have someone tear it out and put it in their mini lessons is so I had at the end of this process, um, the idea is that every piece of this, uh, the -hmm. craft and draft system is it's kind of like breadcrumbs for the teacher and the student to where we can go together and individually, we can find out where the learning breaks down, where, and, and kind of recall stuff easier. So I was working with students and they're publishing and part of the publishing process Uh, for us is I want my students to be able to tell me what mini lessons either inspired their work or supported their work. And I had students going, well, Justin, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I just wrote this and I was like, I want to challenge you on that because you did, you did write what you wanted to, and you kind of did what you wanted to, but we've been learning for six weeks. There's no way this stuff didn't infiltrate your stuff. I want, and that's what students do though. Like when students are like, I don't know, I don't know the answer to this. They do know what our job is to teach them how to get metacognitive about their own learning about Mm -hmm. everything that's been in there and get them to think about it and go, Oh yeah, I did use this. I did, you know, I, this totally did kind of influence this. And so what happened was as I was sitting with students and I was like, okay, so looking at your piece, open your craft book, let's go to it together. Let's flip through each mini lesson. And guess what? Every single lesson was there for us to flip through. Right. And the model text. So we could go, Oh yeah, your piece looks an awful like this. I'm like, Oh yeah, I did get this idea from here. And you have this light bulb moment where students are connecting their free choice and their their autonomy to what's actually happening in the classroom. And guess what? One, that's great for a teacher because that shows that what we're doing isn't just going into a vacuum, but it's, it's better for the student because now they're starting – once that happens and they see that connection – 
they start, they value those mini lessons so much more and they start actively searching for ways to incorporate these things. And I'm telling you, this is the magic bullet of this whole process, which is, uh, students make all of these connections and guess what? If they don't, that's also great information. If they open their craft book and like, yeah, none of this, like, I, you know, I'm not connected to any of it. Guess the conversations I had with a few students who said that I was like, okay, so this next six weeks, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to pay attention to how to use these mini lessons in my writing. Right. Despite the fact that I say that every day, right. <laughs> they, but they, they, those conversations are getting deeper by the time we hit December, January. I mean, these conversations are going to be at such a level um, that people, I mean, that's really hard to get in education. And I think that that's why you and I, um, when it sounds like we might be stressing a, a specific system in terms of this, uh, it's because it's invaluable once you get to the final stages. And if you, if you, uh, degrade the process in some ways, you have to figure out how to either make up for that or just accept that that's what needs to happen in your classroom. And that's, I don't know, that's part of my expectations is trying to guide them through the entire process. So they see how it connects. And then that way, by the time we start the next six weeks, um, there's no surprises and they just kind of go forth. So does it typically take your kids about six weeks to get this whole system figured out or is it sooner? Um, it honestly depends on how much they write because the, the general function of the class is on the reading side, the end goal is for them to perform, uh, well in their, to be able to connect to their reading is, is the authentic side and then to perform well on our unit tests that we do. Right. Uh, on the reading. Oh side. yeah. The unit test. Yeah. Uh-huh. I remember that test. Yeah. On... That was the last test we did, Miss Ochoa. I know. Oh, Guess why I was mad on Friday. Keep oh, going. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> so our but so that's the reading side, right? That's the mm-hmm. end goal. But on the writing side, the end goal is to apply these things, all the the elements and um, the process and the thinking and whatnot into their writing in a way that's meaningful to what they're trying to do. And so sometimes it depends on how the reason I say it depends on how fast they write because if they have a piece. Like I had a few students who had a piece, honestly, that was a high quality enough and they were, we were able to revise it. And by week three, they were already kind of stepping into the, the realm of publishing, which for publishing, for people who don't know is what I consider publishing in my classroom is they've revised it, they've edited it, they've gone through the whole process and they type it up and, and kind of make it a, a final piece and add it to their portfolio. So I had students reach that. So I had already taught them the process of going back looking through the mini lessons, everything else, seeing what connected our form that we have, um, going through that process. So some of them already hit that, but some of them, you know, it really did take until like literally the last day of the six weeks, um, to finally see how it all connected because they just hadn't got there. I don't pre-teach a lot of that because it's something that really, like if I talk about it, it's just going to go one year out the other because it's not, they're not applying it. Right. It's if I say, Hey, you're going to fill out this form and you're going to grade yourself before we talk and go through this whole process. Um, they're like, okay, cool. Chastain. I don't know what you're saying, but I'll see you when I get there. Right. So I kind of, I try to hold off on it, but I, I let the students who are already there get there. That's kind of how I differentiate the whole process. So to answer your question, uh, some of them, most of, well, most of my on-level students do take kind of that whole six weeks to get through the process because that's how yeah. I set it up. But some of them do get there earlier. My honors kids, 
I probably had about half the class get there by the fourth week and kind of see that connection. And now they're like rearing to go. Like a lot of them, a lot of my honors kids published more than one piece this six weeks because once they saw it, they were like, Oh sweet. Like they were, they, cause it's them learning a part of it's learning the process, but also part of it's learning like the pitfalls. I, I talked about this in rightfully empowered, but kids don't trust freedom because they usually don't have real freedom. Kids are given artificial freedom. You know, this, when you give, when you, when you give choice, but that choice is already kind of made for them. That's, that's that artificial freedom. And what I'm trying to train them is no, you literally have that freedom. I just need you to apply our learning to that freedom. And once they understand that, they're they're off on another playing field. Cool. Yeah, I think mine take about six weeks. The first one, I go through that whole process. And then yeah. I think this next six weeks, it'll take off. I'm usually a slow starter when it comes to that. I kind of walk them through it, maybe maybe too slow. I, I know I go slower than you do. Well, but at the same time, I I think in the long run, it I end up, or in the past, I've ended up with pretty good results. I expect the same this year. Well, and here's, and this really merges into what we want to talk about today, which is kind of conferring sort of, but also, um, the, the drive of purpose, which you're supposed to talk about last week, but we got derailed, well, that's right, Our, that's right. but <laughs> for no derailed. reason, hey, <laughs> hmm. everybody, just so you know, I'm the one who derailed us. <laughs> really not I'm though. A, well, I'm, I, I'm the one who asked the questions. Once we jumped in, I was like, Hey, let's oh. talk about this. That is true. That is true. But that's how we right. sh- we've taught. We've been honest about how we do this podcast. We kind of have an idea, but we, we don't script what happens on this show. Like other than no. like, questions, like we pretty much just dive in and see what happens as we talk. This is real that's talk true. to people. <laughs> well, actually, and I mean, just so that people know the background, I mean, they know the background of, of craft and draft, but we were talking about this the other day. And that was, that's really how this whole idea of a podcast kind of came about you and I are in this room where we work together and we were always having these conversations on how we're going to help our teachers. And while we were in the middle of one of our conversations, it kind of got a little bit profound educationally. And we were like, you went, this would be a great podcast. We need to do this. And I guess you were serious because he brought over a microphone and said, we're starting next week. And I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. So that's what you are hearing is what we did when we worked together in the same office. Well, you know what's what's funny and not to derail the show. We're derailing again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously, but I uh, like, I love Teach Me Teacher. I I don't even know what I would be without that show. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's literally changed my life. Just turning the microphone that you have in front of you, right? Is the microphone that built that show. And I, that's right. And it was, it was literally just this desire to talk about education and share my experiences and try to be as honest as possible, but also share great people. And then obviously it grew into what it is now. And I just, I don't know where I'd be, but all of that said, I am, I get so excited to talk every Saturday. Even I talk to you every day, right? I see you literally every day. Every day. (laughs) Well, not on Sunday. We typically don't talk on Sunday. That's our only day off. (laughs) But I mean, every day, I mean, you're like the first teacher I talk to every morning. I mean, it's, uh, but I, I, I genuinely look forward to craft and draft because teach me teacher is, I have to bank 
the way that show is made, I like I recorded like I'm not recording another episode. Well, I'm I'm recording a special episode soon for Teach Me Teacher, but the majority of like the first half of the year of Teach Me Teacher is done in the summer, right? And so it, it, the excitement wears off, but this is a, literally a weekly show that we do. And so I just right. get so excited for Craft Life. So really, this is the most exciting thing I'm doing every week, which is kind of odd to say because it, it doesn't give me any money. Teacher, <laughs> 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 oh, teacher yeah. does. Which is why I have to officiate and get told I'm running the game. That's anyway, how you know I'm not in it just for the money because the one that I spend <laughs> literally far more time on is this show. Um, That's true. It, it, well, maybe, I guess. It depends on how you calculate the time. But um, in any case, all right, so purpose. I, I want to go into this mm-hmm. idea of uh, helping students with their purpose because this, I feel like, is the core um, of the, the what makes or break a workshop. If kids do not yeah. have a purpose for their reading, if they do not have a purpose for their writing, it, it, it literally is what all administrators and district officials fear. Our kids just kind of floundering, right? This is the, the biggest argument against workshop. And I, I don't think it's a fair argument, but I think the, the biggest fear against workshop is, oh, you're just letting kids free write, right? You're just letting kids read. We've both heard this. We have, we oh, have yeah. been challenged by this. And that's partly what craft and draft was born of was this concept of, uh, making the work that we did visible, right? Um, making the the hard work that students are doing not only visible to people entering our rooms, but visible to them and visible to us. And that way there is this record of stuff, but in, in a non-intrusive way. Like I would – I don't feel – like craft and draft is a burden on our students. In all honesty, it's, I feel like they really love it. Like I really don't have students who hate it once they understand it. I mean, have you felt, I mean, other like kids are resistors, obviously we have, we have an episode about that, but do you feel like in, in the majority really, like, I don't, I don't really have a lot of resistors about it at all. No, I mean, I can honestly tell you that when I walk around the room and I say every once in a while, I might have say somebody like the other day, I'm like, um, to, to a young man, I don't, you know, I don't want to say their names, but I, I said to him, I said, uh, so get out your craft and draft. And he goes, I was working on my draft and I left it at home, yep. but I don't have that very often. He had, I said, okay, well then today you need to work on a pe- you know, let's get you a piece of paper and you can always tape it in. And uh, so bring it tomorrow. And he had it the next day. So uh, I honestly, it's some something like that. But right now, I mean, not all of them are stellar in the sense because all of my kids have different levels of ability to write. Uh, but I do, they all write, they all write in it. They all take their notes. Some of them are sloppier than others. Some of them are so neat. It's like, oh my gosh, I just need to have this for I mean, like, you know how some of those kids, they just write perfectly. I've got one that when they take a picture, it almost looks professional. Uh, Because what I do, Jacob, is I don't take up their books, which I think we've talked about this. I think y'all walk around, and I used to walk around, but they actually take pictures of their books. I walk around and look at it, and I take my notes. But for them to turn it in, they're turning it in through our learning platform. So they take a picture of it, and 
of whatever they're doing. And that's how I kind of grade their notebooks to see what I'll ask them periodically. Okay. You need to turn in this page, this page, and this page. And then I'll grade it that way to see if they have those pages. Well, guess what? Most of them have the pages. So no, they're not, and they're not complaining about it either. They're not saying, oh my gosh, we have to get that out again. I mean, I'm not hearing anything like that. Uh, at all. So I think it's great. So how would you say this translates into purpose? Because we, there's a difference and I think this is a really nuanced conversation. We've probably hit it before, but the, one of the reasons why, like we started setting goals, for instance, and you know, I, we, I borrowed it. I mean, we're not the first one talking about reading goals and writing goals, right? Like Nancy Atwell was the first one who really said it in a way that I thought was really empowering with her status of the class and just kind of, you know, just holding kids accountable to their stuff, but in a non-restrictive way, there's nothing restrictive about status of the class other than paying attention to what students are doing. And I think that's a beautiful, uh, a really beautiful tweak to, um, the, the workshop format. But when it comes to, driving kids into a purpose for why they are reading and why they are writing. I feel like this is the holy grail of classes, right? Everyone has heard students go, why are we doing this? What, what's this for? What's the purpose of this? I had a student a few weeks ago. He literally said, I hate reading. It's literally just a bunch of words. (laughs) And I went and in my head, I'm like, okay, so he, it is true, but it's, there to, in my head, I was like, okay, sweet. So he's telling me that he is not reading at a level where he's experiencing his brain go into a different world. He's not experiencing character emotion. He's not experiencing this. And there's yeah. a, there could be a bunch of reasons for that. It could be a reading problem. I mean, he could have some gaps in his reading. Um, it could be a lot of that, but it could also just simply be that he's never found a book that engaged him enough to get to that level to where he wanted to. Um, In middle school, you almost don't know, right? We get students who, uh, you know, they they might be seventh graders, but, you know, we get students in seventh grade who read on a second grade, first grade, third grade level all the time. And so we, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I have kids that are like, the only way I can understand it is if I read it out loud and hear it myself. Yeah. And that, that, that is not seventh grade level. They're doing that. And that is, that's an interesting world that middle school teachers live in. That we we have to contend with, you know, we have kids that are reading at a high school level and elementary, and we have kids that are genuinely middle school level, and we have to be diverse enough in our tech selection, in our uh, classroom libraries, and our pedagogy to be able to kind of contend with such a vast uh, diversity of reader needs. And um, with that, though, I think that the secret bullet is purpose because regardless of your reading ability, if you can get to purpose, if you can get a reader to know why they're picking up a book, but not only know why they're picking up a book, but know what they're going to do when they pick up that book, that purpose, I think, drives the whole process because the the biggest contention, I think, that people have with uh, – um, the more whole language approach or the, the kind of the whole child approach, I, I guess, um, of reading is they're like, well, you can give a not, you can give a kid who struggles with reading all the books in the world, but they're never going to get better at reading because they're not getting direct instruction. I think purpose is where that changes because if you can work, you can have a, 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 
depending on your reader, a reader can be diving into it to really understand plot, character, and everything else. But a reader could also be diving into something just what type of mental images, which is one of our standards, what type of images are coming to your mind while you're reading? That can be, that's a powerful purpose for a reader who is not well-versed in literature, right? Who is not someone who reads something and can automatically start creating something. A challenge of try to really picture this as you're reading, right? What what are the words doing for you? And I think that purpose that that's that's what we're shooting for, but that's infinitely challenging because we want we want immediate results to go back to kind of the workshop thing, right? Of we want we sh- teachers might f- fail to have that time that that scary time of letting kids practice and really dive into it. So, in let's start with reading first, since that was kind of the the connection that I made first to this. But when you're talking about purpose in reading, how do you work? with that um, duality of not trying to crush reading with the the force of education, so to speak, but also use like we have a job to do, which is create kids who are competent in reading. How do you how do you merge those two to help students find their purpose when they're reading and, and independently and within the mini lesson? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to look kind of uh uh, the purpose of reading in general. And according to Louise Rosenblatt, there are two main reasons why we we read. One is an aesthetic purpose, and that's just to enjoy the reading for what it is and to be able to visualize and go into different worlds and just to just to get out of the one you're in and relax and and have reading help you in that manner. The other one, of course, is efferent, which is uh, reading to learn something. And I think one thing that we can do is share that with the students. And that's why SSR or DEAR or reading time, whatever you want to call it, where they have a moment, that's why choice is so important because that choice allows for that aesthetic reading. And it's the aesthetic reading is where the enjoyment of reading comes in. And so I think that we have to find things. Sometimes we have to find things that the students can can absorb at their level. So you really have to know your students. You have to analyze, you have to listen to them uh, read. You have to analyze their data. You have to, you have to really kind of tune in and watch and be a great kid watcher. And so when you're giving them that time to aesthetically read, so to speak, reading for pleasure, that choice book that you've given them. And they are wanting to go to the restroom, which mine do. I mean, I have just as many issues as everybody else. Just because I know this stuff doesn't mean I don't have issues. We both do. I think that's that's important to call out. Like we're not living in a utopia here. (laughs) No. And so, but I'm like, and and you you have said this several times, it becomes an investigative reason is it a learning disability so your next step is is let's go look have there been any meetings about this child have as there is there a plan is there have has anything been identified uh okay they're on the dyslexic situation all right if that's the case what can i do in the classroom to help them with that so so sometimes i'll find something that they don't have to um try to figure out it's something that's pretty simple and just let them read at their own level, which whatever that level is. And, you know, you know, I have picture books in the room and I have all different kinds of stuff. And then I'll watch what do they gravitate towards as far as levels. And then uh, what I just did, we went to the, we went to the library and I said, okay, how many of you read 
adventures. And, you know, how many of you read graphic novels? And of course, I already had written all this stuff down. I already knew who was reading what. And I said, okay, if you'll notice, I've written all this stuff down. And I said, so your purpose for the library visit today is to find a book of your choice, anything you want, and I don't care what it is. If they want to go over there and pick a book up about how to learn to draw, I don't care. That's fine with me. If they want to pick a book up that's a magazine that's Batman, I don't care. That's their choice. If they want to pick up the hardest, heaviest novel that they want, okay, if that's what they want to do. And then I said, all right, now this next book, I want you to pick a genre that you typically do not read. Or if you're always reading graphic novels, I want you to pick a a book that's not a graphic novel. Uh, So then when I was, and so I said, if you need help, come ask me or our librarian. And so I did have some actually come and ask me. I always read these books and I can't seem to find anything I'll like in any other genre. Can you help me? And so we went to other genres and then we were able to find books for every every child i did have a, somebody that he's not a strong reader and he goes and gets the biggest harry potter book that he can find now harry potter i know that if harry potter it's one of those things that harry potter's a, a pretty big book you know all of those books are pretty large have a lot of words and uh and they're accessible even to fourth graders If the fourth grader is really interested, so if it's a high interesting book, then they will work through it. But if they can't even tackle the first page, then how can it ever be a high interest book to them? It might be a high interest movie, but it's not a high interest book because they can't even get to it. So I had a child go, I watched him and he was like, you could tell it was, that book was not okay for him. So I went over to him and I said, look, just because I said the word challenge because he got it. He goes, well, this is my challenging book. You told me to find something to challenge me. And I said, well, I told you to find something to challenge you, but not something that's impossible for you to get involved in. If you're not going to like the book, I would rather you read a book that's not so difficult and actually get through the book than to just have a big book for the sake of having a big book. And he goes, you mean I can turn it back in? I said, you can turn it back in. And then he goes, can you help me find a book? And so we went and we found him a book that's more of what he really kind of wanted. And it still had the magical powers and stuff that you would find in Harry Potter, but it was more accessible to his ability. I don't know. That's a long answer, but that's one of the ways that I help them find purpose is I challenge them, but I give them choice. So I try to hit that effort and that aesthetic side. Uh, And so now we're about to do fiction, I mean, nonfiction. So now we'll look at what is the purpose of of this text is it and and I know that we do the pie thing and people like to do the pie thing these little canned lessons but I don't know it there's nothing wrong with that it's starting off it's a jumping off place but really the purpose is why am I reading this piece is it to learn more about this or is it just because I really like motorcycles and I just want to know more about them or is it because you know they so I I actually have a lesson on finding your purpose in reading and why do you read i re- i i love i absolutely love all of these acronyms and stuff for these like purpose things because it's something that i feel like, i feel like teachers die on these hills they don't need to be die, died on we live in a society where kids are constantly choosing what they want to watch 
I, people hate TikTok. People hate YouTube, whatever. Kids are constantly choosing their videos, right? A lot of them watch dance videos and they do the funny videos and stuff, but a lot of them fall down these rabbit holes of learning whatever they want to learn on the internet, right? Like they literally just go down all of these worlds that they want to explore. And kids, you know purpose like kids know purpose they know when they watch something on the on their on whatever app they're using for entertainment mm-hmm. they know when they're learning something they know when they're interested in something they know these things the the job of us becomes connecting the the academics to what they're already interested in and i think that is i think that's the the calling of workshop i think it's the calling mm-hmm. of modern educators is bridging that gap because yes you know i I am a sucker for social media just as much as every kid in my uh, classroom, right? Like, I I love it all. I think it's hilarious. I think it's equally evil and amazing at the same time. Like, I really do. (laughs) I do feel that way. Like, I I couldn't imagine my life without social media at this point. But um, I lived in a world where I, you know, I I was a, I was – a teenager when the iPhone was first made and um, I was like, I was around at the birth of MySpace and Facebook and stuff. And I kind of, I lived in and out of that world. And so those combinations though, I feel like we get trapped in this constant battle of, you know, you should do this. You should just kids know these things. It's the matter of making it relevant to what we do. It's altering our curriculum to fit the modern day world. And that's a challenge because sometimes it doesn't fit perfectly. And sometimes it does. Um, but in terms of this purpose, though, driving student purpose, we, we told the story on one of our last podcast about that student who, uh, I had at our, our school that we worked at together where he was obsessed with, you know, fixing things and we kind of got him invested in, you know, fixing a, a typewriter and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's, that's one example, but like I had a student at the beginning of this year where he happened to ask me if I had any Dungeons and Dragons books and I happened to have some and he was so excited. And I think, I think we should allow for these interests to drive stuff because I know there's teachers out there who were like, you know, we're in middle school, so we're in a different world. If any high school teachers are listening, whatever, I think we have a bigger elementary audience than we do um, high school, um, which is interesting that high school te- that the high school world just doesn't lend itself to workshop as much. I think that's our niche where we can kind of push a little bit. I digress. My point is, is our uh, this this world of allowing students to kind of choose their purpose there, you know, in literature, in English, we want to push, you know, the diary of Anne Frank, um, you know, we want to push the outsiders, the giver, uh, you know, what uh, the great Gatsby, great expectations, all of that, all of that's great, right? Like I, I personally, I think the great Gatsby is overrated, but like the, the great expectations is literally one of my, it changed my life when I read it, um, of mice and men East of Eden, all of that stuff. I think it's, those books are indispensable It's the canon, et cetera, et cetera. However, I do not expect every student to care about that stuff. I don't expect every student to care about Shakespeare. I don't expect every student to care about the highest quality of literature because you don't have to as an adult. How many adults do you meet that have actually read these books? The more often, you're more likely to run into adults who said, oh, yeah, I spark noted that or I half read that or, oh, my God, I hated that. My teacher forced me to read that book, right? Those are the more likely reactions that you've had 
um, with adults unless you just really hang around English nerds, right? And I, I, but here's the thing. When we think about what we're doing in the classroom, when we think about workshop, you know, I, I rail all the time on social media about this over workforce focus of education. I think education should be fun and joyful and should be a time of experimentation and learning. And I think it should be less about getting a job and more about expanding yourself as a person. But we do serve a role as we're trying to make someone as well-rounded as possible so they can make the educated decision about where they want to go in the future. Right. And I have students, like I have an eighth grader who in the sixth grade, she was reading The Great Gatsby and all of this stuff. She's read all of the classics. Her high school teacher is going to absolutely hate her because she's read all of all of the high school canon by the time she gets there. Um, but I've encouraged her. I'm like, look, you're so into this. I was like, really dive deep, right? But that that's like that's the rare student. Most students are really, they just want to... You know, if they read for fun, they want to enjoy that. But if you think of the the biggest uh, genres that people romance genre is the biggest selling genre in fiction in books in general, right? Uh, that that's the biggest readership. It has everything in terms of books. It it dominates the sales charts, and we don't we don't rail against romance readers. I mean, snobby people might, but they're people who are reading books and we have to, our classrooms have to be places that accommodate these different purposes. We can't limit our classrooms to just staunch academia. And that might sound, I don't know. I feel like that's controversial in some circles. Do you, do you, I, do you feel people, uh, in the audience right now, like, like, uh, like you know, cringing at the fact that I'm saying that because I know it's English teachers love these books. We love these stories. I'm one of them, but I have accepted over time that if I if I have students that get there, I want to push them. But most students aren't going to get there. So what's what's my alternative? Fail them or empower them in the way that they want to go? We have these people who rail against comic books, graphic novels, et cetera, et cetera. But if that's their world that they want to live in, think about all of the graphic designers and animators who would have never done what they did if they didn't, if they weren't encouraged to read comic books as a kid, you know what I mean? Like I just, I feel like that's our world, but I also feel like people are are cringing away from that. Do you feel that way? Well, I think so. I mean, I think, um, well, let me just, some of the, okay. When I was young, which was a while back, about 25 years ago, maybe 30. I guess it would be more like 30 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Though I'm telling you, it was over. Which novel was the district going to push at the junior level? And the one school, we only had two schools in the district at the time. And somebody from one school stood up and they went toe to toe, face to face with another teacher from the other school because, and it was over, what novel was best for all the students? And one was saying more like what you're talking about. We need to find things that our kids want. The other ones are like, nope, we have to do the canon and we have to do this. And I just sat there as a young teacher and I'm like, what did I just get myself into? I didn't know teachers. They fought. The biggest fights I've ever seen have been over yes. what to read. So, yes. And these fights are still con- happening. They are still happening. And, I mean, so it's it's a huge contention. But I think 
to me is I think we it's it's all about um, exposing the students to the most uh, literary things that we can that's high interest. Um, am I against the whole novel? No, but does my district want me to teach in a whole novel? No. So I got to work around that. Um, I do think though that high literary uh, type works are are definitely necessary for our students to be able to understand how things are structured. But are they the most fun? Not always. So I think, I really do think that um, they, you know, if you can start getting them to ask what their own purposes are, why am I reading this? You know, what do I want to do with this information? you know, then it's good. I like to, um, I, w- I was having a conversation today because at the high school, one of our high schools, uh, it's a teacher that's now at the high school level, and, you know, we're friends. And so we we had a conversation today and it was all about the Odyssey, whether to teach the, all of the Odyssey or not to teach all of the Odyssey. And should we teach the Odyssey and how much of the Odyssey? Well, I personally like the Odyssey and I'm sitting there telling her, you know, what I would do if I were to teach it, I would give them this background information. I would provide a map. I like the, the the geographic part of it. I like to, if the students can see the actual phys- physical features that um, uh, that Odysseus had to go through between uh, Skyla and Charybdis, you know, there's a there's where that that location is. There's a huge whirlpool where the rocks come together. Well, and then there's a, a rocky crag, you know, a, a cliff that if you got too close to it, it would it would tear people off the the ship. Well, guess what happened? One was it one's illustrated as a monster, one's uh, uh, illustrated as something that just swallows people whole, and he had to make a decision. So, when have you ever had to make a decision? You know, so why are we reading this? Why did they write this? And so, I like the kids to kind of investigate it. I mean, where did the origin come from for this idea? Well, if you look at geography, you can see that probably they, you know, th- that rocky crag probably felt like a a uh, five-headed monster that took all five people off the off the ship. And over here there is a whirlpool. So, you know, I don't know. I just think it's um but are, but they're still reading that classic. But but here's what we need to know. We have the Achilles heel, we have how many things even in our songs. Like I think there's a song from Brad if a for the Iliad if a face can launch a thousand ships. Well, that's an allusion to to Helena or to Helen from uh, the Iliad. So I think it's cool to me. I would like to say I would like to teach the classics and say, look, these are archetypes and our authors that you like are still using these today. Why? And to me, their purpose now would be to go find out why. So I just like to offer these questions and then let the kids kind of investigate them. But as a teacher, I like to show them these literary illusions all over the place. And I think it's kind of fun. And um, I think it empowers their their uh, learning when you can do that. The beauty of this is that can be a mini lesson, right? We can take yes. these abstract ideas. We can take something. I mean, we did this uh, recently. We should probably do a whole podcast on this, that lesson, but the, we, this shadow lesson that 
I've kind of played with and uh, it merges, but about identity and wearing a mask mm-hmm. and I've connected it to Plato's allegory of the cave. And I mean, the think of how old that allegory is and it is so applicable to today. And I think it is, it is such a valuable uh, connection for our young people to make is that, you know, literally human beings who lived, you know, hundreds of years ago, sometimes thousands of years ago, depending on what you're reading, literally have the same concepts for good and evil, have the the same metaphors, have the same symbolism. Why is it so ingrained in human history? Why, mm-hmm. you know, you know, someone like Shakespeare, like how did he tap into such a deep level of human cognition and emotion to where he literally crafted so many elements of our English language, let alone our understanding of plot, character, conflict, everything else. All of that is, is so relevant, but at the same time, it doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to be taught in a way that makes kids completely disengaged from it, right? There's a, right. There's a difference between making history relevant and teaching history. <laughs> like, there really right. is. And I, this is coming from – I love history. I, I love all of this stuff. But my ultimate goal is to teach the kids in front of me. And I, I, I think that, that purpose of when – getting kids to understand – to be able to read in general is – a massive feat to get them to uh, talk about the the different elements of, oh, this is, you know, this is connected to this and this is connected to this and to, to start bridging though that information. I mean, that's when you start getting depth, when you start getting synthesis. I know this stuff is in our standards, but true synthesis is something that I think is the heart of reader's purpose and really mm-hmm. writer's purpose. So I know we talked about this episode will probably be titled, you know, the, the, the purpose of, of a reader or something like that. But maybe we'll talk about reader or writer next week, but just, just encouraging that synthesis. And I think that the craft and draft model to kind of bring this all together, having that mini lesson, setting your goal, having kids independently practice connected to that mini lesson, I think is the heart of synthesis between purpose and why we do what we do and also joy because everyone wants to feel smarter, but you also feel like you're discovering something to like, I remember like when I was like, I'll read something and I'm like, Oh, I know where that comes from. I know that reference. Like mm-hmm. one of my friends who he's one of my closest friends is also, he he's my first reader of all of my uh, books that I've read or written, but he, uh, there's a, there's a phrase in game of Thrones that, someone said from the mouse of babes and he goes, they wouldn't say that in this world. He was like, that is a phrase that should not be in that world. It's a biblical phrase. And he was like, that should not be in there because Christ that, you know, that the biblical story doesn't exist in this world. And I've always thought that was an interesting argument, but you, but being able to, to know those things and to think deeply about text and phrases and metaphors and symbolism, I think that's, that's the heart of what we do in English is we're, we're not just teaching content. We're teaching the the collective idea. I mean, really. I mean, if we want to get super nerdy about this, I mean, this is Jungian and Freudian and everything else that that <laughs> brings all of this together. I mean, I know we're you know we're teaching middle school kids, but 
I mean, this really is the the greater concept of what is human consciousness. How has human consciousness stayed the same and changed over the last 2,000, 5,000 years? And I don't know if there's a greater content that does this. If you're not excited to talk about this stuff, I don't know who you are. And that, but it's our job to get kids excited about it because it literally is the foundation of the human experience. That was really esoteric. I apologize. I'm done. That was esoteric. <laughs> but I will say coming out of that, what... what what I, I guess to me, to put that maybe in a less esoteric, but kind of in the same line, is, is I really think the purpose for our students to read and our students to write is to make sense of the world in which they live. Yes. And that's how I feel. And I think that's what our job is, is to help them make sense of their world. And in classic fashion, Ochoa created a much more comprehensive and comprehending thing that I just ranted about. This is the Craft the Draft podcast. Let's with that's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two seventh grade English teachers. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe. We release a podcast every single Friday so you can start your weekend off right. You can follow us on Facebook at Craft and Draft something something. You can also follow us at craftandraftworkshop.com I made categories and everything else. You can search the podcast, but if you enjoyed this episode, please rate the show. We have reached 20 uh, reviews. All of them have been five stars, so thank you very much for those of you who have done that. It is not an ego thing. It really does help the show rank. It supports the show and everything else. You know that it's just us at the top of the show. We talked about how this show doesn't, we don't make any money off of this this is just us doing this so if you want to support that and encourage us to keep going rating reviewing and subscribing really does help but if you want a question answered submit a question to my dms wherever you follow me on uh, social media or you can go to craftthedefworkshop.com and hit submit a question that comes directly to us we love talking about this come back next week for another fantastic episode ladies and gentlemen but know that we are here for you